0: Thank you for downloading this podcast, and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth, the podcast to help the channel better understand the trends, technologies, and concepts that are facing the IT industry today. I'm your host, David Fern, and we hope you enjoy this Arrow production, and please subscribe. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Arrow Bandwidth. I am joined as per normal with my co-host, Richard.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: And once again, I have Paul Vaughan and Vince Payne in the room. Uh, Thank you very much for coming again. Hi. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you for your enthusiasm there, Vince. (laughs) So, (laughs) this week's episode is all about the software-defined workplace. Now, many of you may be looking at us or listening to us more appropriately and saying, the software-defined workplace, what on earth is that? Well, I am pleased to say that we have an absolute expert on software-defined workplace in our midst, Mr. Paul Vaughan, who recently, I'll let him go into detail, but passed his MBA specifically on...
2: Uh, Segmented Retention Strategies for Knowledge Workers.
0: Sound more... Excited, Paul. (laughs) Say it with a smile, my friend. Say it with a smile. So, long and short, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to pass it straight over to Paul to explain to our audience at large the SDWP 101. Take it away, Paul.
2: All right, thank you, Richard. You said something to me earlier about um, software-defined workplace. What, what did you say uh, came to mind? Oh, now you put
1: me on the spot, and you're also going to make me show my age here, aren't you? So, um, so yeah, we were we were talking, weren't we, about um, SDWP? I have to I have to concentrate to get those in the right order, um, and. <laughs> Without without <laughs> shooting myself in the foot laugh shoot, away. A bit. Shoot away. Shoot away. Laugh away, bids. Um yeah, I go back a I go back a, a long, long way. And yeah, when I think of when I think of software defined workplace, I can't help but think of this sort of thing clients <laughs> and accessing my apps through a browser and as a user being sure. told to shut up, put up, uh, we don't trust you with a PC, <laughs> let alone a laptop. Uh, you'll have that little box don't touch that. And if you want to access anything, you go to this
2: screen and that's it. All right. Yeah, oh, now fine. go off and do your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Phone support. <laughs> so the reason I ask you that uh, because you mentioned thin clients, right? Yeah. And um, the thing is, um, as our desktops evolved, some people decided to use fat uh, clients, fat desktops, and mm-hmm. some decided to use laptops to do their work. Others decided to use them clients, and uh, others decided to um, use mobile devices, iPads, etc. And um, I was um, proposing to folks that you know all of those things together is wrapped up in a in a sort of a, a practice that we generally term end-user computing, right? Yeah. It's the end-user, they compute, and they compute on a number of different devices. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to folks that if you think of it that way, and you want to think about how your business can evolve into a, a new world of being software-defined, then having an end-user computing conversation is not necessarily the the, the end game because end-user computing is really about changing what the desktop looks like. Because lots of organizations still yeah. have this notion that uh, to do work, you turn up at a desk, at a, a assigned desk. There's an assigned device, and you get on with your work, and there's a phone, there, et etc. So if you think of end-user computing... Um, as a subset of desktop transformation because you, mm-hmm. you fundamentally start to fiddle around with what the desktop looks like because if you can work from home or you can work from a remote location, then you are starting to mess around with uh, what, what the desktop looks like. Yeah. So any initiatives that um, take on a full um, comprehensive view of end-user computing really needs to wrap themselves up in this desktop transformation way of looking at things. And if you push that further, you you can say, well, desktop transformation is probably a subset of uh, a thing called workforce transformation. Because Mm -hmm. if, for example, people can be productive, uh, not necessarily at a desk, but on a train, at the beach, for Pete's sake, anywhere, then you start to... You start to delve into the realms of what work looks like, what does productivity look
1: like? So I had an interesting fact just this week that uh, I think the u k has one of the lowest productivity rates in its workforce then if it wasn 't Europe, it was the world um, you know, this, I take yeah. it this is you know we start looking then at, at SDWP as as a solution for that low productivity
2: yeah uh, and if, for example it 's going to be around thinking about how the workforce has been transformed and -hmm. and, and get to a place where you can measure productivity, et cetera. Then you have to ask yourself, as an IT organization or as a distributor of IT products, it's like, well, wait a minute. If we're going to talk about workforce transformation, even though initially we spoke about thin clients and end user computing, we moved all the way through desktop transformation to this point, the question then is who in our end-customer audiences should we be talking about workforce transformation? Mm. That doesn't sound like an IT type of conversation. You know? It Not might very well be some other stakeholders. Mm. So that's what I'm encouraging resellers to think about is just think about is it necessary to have that IT conversation or should you be talking about workforce transformation to some other people who really care about that, whose mm. KPIs depend on this? So it was within that realm that um, I developed this um, interest in how do we look after people in our organizations? Because I sort of thought about knowledge, uh, the knowledge economy and people and and organizations who who live and work in this economy. You're like, hold on, wait a minute. Um, What makes you different? What are you selling? And your differentiation uh, often, if not always, is... Your people, mm-hmm. the knowledge that your people have. So if your differentiation is your people, then you really need to think about what do I do to protect my people? What do I do to protect that differentiation? Yeah. You know, in the days of manufacturing, we used to say you know, we need um, maintenance people to look after the plant, after the factories. Um, even if you're a, um, a logistics organization, you have you know, your fleet of cars and stuff, and you have people to maintain that stuff. So the question is, why don't we have people to maintain our differentiation? So that's what led me to the research um, uh, over the last four and a half years around. What can we do to help organizations retain that differentiation? What does a differentiation look like? Should we have a sort of one-size-fits-all approach to this, or should we be more strategic in it? Should we start to segment our retention strategies depending on, the types of people we have in our organisation, mm. um, and I'll talk some more about that in a minute. But that's probably what I would think is the the the, the framework for thinking about software defined workplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I don't. Uh, not much more to say to that. That's mm. Pretty pretty conclusive. I mean, um, from a sort of uh, where where do people start? I mean, where where would you advise? So the, well, the the theory is absolutely sound. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I mean. Where on earth well, do you start in this world?
2: So, the research <coughs> shows, for example, that a, a lot of costs in the business um, is associated with uh, staff turnover. Mm. So, what happens is when people leave, obviously, you, mm. you have to onboard um, the new staff, but you have to offboard people correctly. You have to do you know, decent exit interviews, and you can't just use anyone. You need to use you know, specialists who understand how to ask the right questions without being offensive and all this stuff. <coughs> and then taking that information and building out. Um, an idea of why people are leaving. When I speak to HR directors, for example, I say to them, I said, look, you know, what does um, dysfunctional turnover cost you? Now, if you said that to an IT person, they'd frown probably because... Mm, not yeah, because they, absolutely. They, they're they stupid. It's because that's they, not part of their It's not their,
1: consideration. It's not measure. That's right. It's
2: Whereas yeah. for folks in the HR industry, they understand that um, actually um, there are the two types of... Um, um, voluntary turnover, there's voluntary and involuntary You know, where Mm. people are going to leave there's this functional bit and there's this this dysfunctional turnover now when I left um, Telecom New Zealand uh, in 2008 um, even if they offered me double the money I was still going to leave because I wanted to come to New Zealand uh, sorry to the UK and have an adventure right Um, so you can't really stop that type of functional turnover, it's the dysfunctional turnover that's a problem where Mm people who you want to keep but they they're not really happy they're grumpy and they they leave and if you can stop that dysfunctional turnover then you end up scoring big time because anyone who's listening here and if you if if you're not in, in in the hr sector go and ask someone who you know who works there and ask them how much it costs to replace a knowledge worker you know there's the agency fees and then there's all the other training that goes with it i mean um, research shows that sometimes it can be as much as a hundred percent of an FDE's cost. I mean, that's enormous amounts of money. Mm. Um, so it's important if if we can say to folks, listen, what does your turnover look like? You know, twenty, thirty percent. Mm. What happens if we could reduce that by ten percent? what What is that? How many people is that? Because if you've got five hundred people in your business and you're losing, you know, um, fifty people <coughs> a year, that's ten percent, right? Mm. We can reduce that by just. You know, no, I mean, mean, this,
1: is, this for me—it's a perfect example about how you take um, a conversation to the line of business yeah. in a client, mm-hmm. and know yeah, I mean, listening engrossed by what Paul's got to say, and at no point has he spoken about technology. And it, it's very similar. I, I'm kind of sat here drawing analogies with you know a, a meeting I was in not too long ago with with a partner, and we were. Providing a product update on some of the ana- some analytics tools, uh, and, and we did that. And bearing in mind the partner, the client we were with, their space was HR. After the product update, they did not talk about feature functionality of the product and how they were going to take that feature functionality mm. to the HR teams. They were talking about business outcomes. They were talking about, you know increasing retention in staff, being able to show that level of staff churn, not we can deliver you this analytics tool as a service because Mm. it's great for Mm. X, Y, and Z, and doesn't the dashboard look funky and it can show you X, Y, and Z. No. Mm. It's about the business outcome.
2: Absolutely. So uh, Vince has managed lots of people in the the past, and he'll tell you, um, you know, every time he has these um, performance appraisal meetings, often... You know, you go through, the, through the, the 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 process of it, and at the end of the, um, that process, you say something like, "Hey, listen, um, Paul, it was really good. Um, you're doing a good job, but um, <clears throat> there's there's no money. Um, you know, I can't give you a pay increase." And that normally leads Paul to go to his desk, really grumpy, thinking, "Oh, wait a minute, that's effectively a pay decrease because what's happened is all these costs have gone up in the meantime. Mm. Petrol's gone up. This has gone up." Uh, my mortgage has gone up. Um, the school trips uh, for the kids have gone up. And yeah. uh, I've still got the same amount of money. So my disposable income is less, which means i just got to pay a decrease. Okay, now, with a LinkedIn profile, maybe I should be updating it. You yeah. know, That's what, what happens. And these are good people who otherwise would be happy to stay in the business. So I'm saying to folks, look, what happens if you could have that performance appraisal meeting and say, for example, you, there is no money? There's just... Admit that, okay? There's yep. no money. But you could say to a mom and a dad, for example, listen, um, there's 11 weeks of holiday and half term in the UK, right? Now, every time you send your kid off to a holiday camp, that's going to cost you, what, 50, 60 pound a day? And uh, that's if you send them from 9 to 5, but most people can't do that, so they yeah. to send them from 7 a.m. to 6, 6.30 p.m., and that costs even more. So we're talking about 300 upwards per Per child, And that's a lot of money after tax, right? Yep. So if you're having this meeting and you said to a mom or a dad, listen, I can't give you more money. But you know some of those half terms that you you know, send your kids off to holiday camp? How about if you could work from home? How about if we, we restructure your workload in such a way that you could do some of the work that you would have done in the office? Yeah. And yeah, okay, you, you should have meetings, but maybe we can reconstitute this week for you to, to work from home. And, yeah, okay, you might have to start at 6 a.m. and do some work before the kids wake up, have an extended breakfast, settle them down, then work through the mid-morning and maybe have an extended lunch, et cetera, et cetera. And, hey, you may even have to work till 8 p.m. potentially. I mean, overall, in that day, the the work day might stretch from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., but you're still doing the same amount of hours. But you end up spending time. I don't really care if you spend two hours in the park with the kids just to get out. When you come back, they settle down and... You crack on with your work. If I could give you that, would that be something that might be appealing to you? Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, come on, really? That's not bad, right? And of course, if you think about £300 a week, if you've got two kids, that's £600 a week. Mm. So you've got like five weeks, that's £3,000, and of course that's before tax. So if you think about it, by the time you extrapolate that into what uh, what you have to earn to get the 3000 in your hand, it is effectively a pay increase. Yeah. Now... That's all well and good, but then they say to me, but they'll be at home. How can they work when their desktop is sat there in, in the office in, in the city? Yeah. And it's at that point that I say, well, you need to think about defining your, your workspace in software because if it's in software, then you can put it anywhere, in fact. Yeah. Not only do they have to work from home, they could work from Mallorca for beat's sake. You know? I mean, how about that? And that normally freaks people out, like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why, why, why are you making those sounds? <laughs> and you know what they say? They'll say things like, well, I'm not sure they're going to be doing their work. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. So that's got to do with a whole bunch of trust issues yeah, and culture yeah. and all sorts of things. And one of the things that I appreciate at Arrow is, look, my manager, Dan Waters, lives and works in Harrogate. And I live and work in London.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, one day, my wife said to me, Listen, um, I want to go to Paris. We've been to Saint-Omer in France, we've been to Calais, we've been to a few other places, but I've never been to Paris. I'm like, Sure, okay, let's go. I made one phone call, and that phone call was to Jacques Cassant, the, uh, the manager of the ARA office in, in France, and said, Listen, can I come in there? Is there like um, sort of workspace that I can just use? And he's like, Yeah, sure, there's heaps of space. So we just went. Mm-hmm. and I didn't tell Dan because I paid for the trip and I was there in time for, for, for the start of the day and I worked there because I had access to all the things I needed access to and it was all secure and I was able to yeah. communicate with folks and speak to them, et cetera. Now, Dan only found out about that trip months after because I spoke about it in a presentation. But that just shows the power of it. Now, here's the thing, right? That enabled me to make my wife happy. The kids had a great time, and I, after like six thirty, because that's really interesting. The French worked till six thirty. I'm at five five thirty. I'm thinking, all right, come on. When someone going to get up? <laughs> but no one got up. They all that's stayed horrible. till six thirty. But the point is, from about seven o'clock, because I had to take the tube back to the, the city centre. Yeah. From seven till twelve, I was a tourist. It was amazing. That's mm. cool, right? So those are the types of things. If you can software define your world, then and yeah. make it so that, a, your, the culture of the organization. People trust you to do what you have to do, right? I couldn't do that if Dan thought, well, hold it. If, he, if I can't see him, then he's not doing his work. Well, Dan doesn't work that way, you know? Mm. And lots of um, people in our organization work that way. They say, well, wait a minute. Here's an outcome that you have to achieve. Just get on with it and do it, and I'll see the, the fruits of your labor. Yeah. So there's, there's a cultural change that needs to take place because if you have this culture of presenteeism where people have to be seen to be working, I mean, that's dangerous, right? I mean, if you know that everyone has uh, an iPhone and an iPad and we all have unlimited data, I mean, you can go on Facebook on your phone and no one will know, even if you block I, uh, you know, Facebook on, yeah. on, on your corporate network. So you have to think really carefully and in, uh, in a more mature way about what does work look like, what does productivity look like, and how can I build that into my organization? Because I tell you what, if you can get that right anything is possible I mean I work um, later on this year I'm going to Milan and again I'm taking a really early flight I'll be in Milan from 9 o'clock on a Thursday and I'm going to work in a coffee shop somewhere and uh, because I'm on 3Mobile I get to use my mobile everywhere I need to be so there'll be no issue but I'm taking the Friday off so first thing on Friday morning I'm going to head off to Venice and we're going to have some great times and have a long weekend effectively fantastic now it's only possible because my workspace has been defined in software, so I can I can access it from wherever I am. Mm. There's no issue, and it's totally secure, etc.
1: Yeah, I think there's one of those things, isn't it? It's like, like if I go back when I first started in distribution, um, I worked I worked for somebody I won't name, but we all know in this room, and, and he expected his staff to be in the office sat at their desk, ready to pick the phone up to make outgoing calls at 9am. Not walking in the office at 9am, ready to go for 9. And you would take lunch between 12 Mm, and 2. And you would work through till 5.30. And, yeah, right, I've gone from being an internal to being an external, and it's one of those things. I take it for granted. That level of trust that you talk about, Mm -hmm. that, that cultural sort of um, environment that we have here at Arrow. it's very much, yeah, I completely agree with you. Now, I, I have my phone, I have a tablet, I have a laptop, and I will work, I will, you know, I, am, I'm, I know what my goals are and my aims are, I know what is expected of me, and, and I will deliver on them. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I think, you know, sometimes you've got that almost, that that counter, which is some people knowing, right, now you switch off. Now, you know, it's, you started at seven, it's gone midnight. Actually, you know what? Stop. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to... It's some a nice discipline. problem to have for a business, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, it's, it's checks and measures. But, mm. you know, I think, it's, I think the point I'm trying to make is, you know, we, we work in that world, and you almost you get to a point where you take it for granted that every other organisation is where we are now rather than what I described from 15 years ago. Well, this is the
2: interesting thing. In, in the research I, I did, uh, I um, um, surveyed um, IT professionals across the United Kingdom and Ireland, and uh, I discovered that um, there were org- um, people's responses were like, well, actually, no, our organisation doesn't feel that way. Um, we're considered to be working when we are in the office. If we are out of the office, then we're either on lunch or be on sick leave or on annual leave, you know. Um, so there are lots of organizations that still feel that way. Mm-hmm. And um, it's important that they start to think very carefully about how they start to retain staff and how, to, how they think about um, um, even acquiring staff. Because mm-hmm. one of the, um, you know, when you do these cross tabulations using um, um, the analytics tools, uh, you know, I asked, for example, what was the impact of uh, flexibility on job satisfaction? And, um, you know, 96% of people said, you know, that's really important to me if I don't have flexibility. Okay. Now, think about this. These are knowledge workers, right? Now, I understand in concierge services where, you know, you've got a receptionist and staff and people who host people. On, they can't work from a Yorker if they – the receptionist <laughs> yes. that doesn't make sense. So I'm obviously talking about those knowledge workers, the people that make the differentiation that mm. um, you sell uh, with a margin to your customers, right? Um, these are the people that saying I will be happier in my job if I got flexibility to be able to work from wherever I wanted to work yeah. at various times, not all the time, but certainly when it mattered. I mean, that's a big number. And, again, you know, statistics are always very funny, right? But, okay, even if it's not 96%, even though there's this massive margin of error, we're still talking about a bucket Good load proportion. of people, yeah. right? Um, I was saying, for example, um, I asked uh, folks... Um, In terms of flexible working, if you were going to have a conversation about your employment conditions in the next year, uh, will you bring up flexibility? And two-thirds of people said, oh, absolutely, I'm going to bring it up, right? Because if you think about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, the people Mm. we're talking about are sitting right at the top. Of that pyramid. You know, it's all about self-actualization. You know, we basically have our houses and our food and cars and stuff. We've sorted those basic stuff out. So now it's all about the aspirational stuff. Yeah. So those are the people who are saying, well, wait a minute. What am I going to do with the extra money if, if I did get extra money? I'm going to buy more expensive wine, maybe buy another kitchen and stuff. Do I really need that stuff. But what about my kids? I, I think I'd rather want to spend some more time with my kids or with my elderly parents or something like that. Mm. And, in fact, when I asked, I, I took uh, the Office for National Statistics and said, look, what is the the average um, salary increase across the United Kingdom in the sector, right? And I, I offered um, um, survey respondents that as a pay increase or the flexibility. Which one would you choose? And it, I think uh, it was, um, again, 90-odd percent of people said, will choose the flexibility. Yeah, shows you. And that's really important, you know? And yeah. it's not like people don't want money. I, I'd like some extra money. But there's something that's far more important to me, and we need to think about that. Now, flexibility means different things for different people, right? Yeah. So if, if you're a young parent, then clearly you've got young kids, and so maybe you want to play with them through those formative years. You might be an older person, and you might be caring for a parent or an older sibling or something like that. So... Flexibility might look different for you for that maybe. But the point is you've got to be thinking about how you segment those retention strategies and, and say, well, actually this person can get some flexibility. I can't give them flexibility unless I've software-defined their workspace mm. and made it so that they can work yeah. from. Yeah. And I've got some amazing ideas. When I speak to some resellers and say to them, even your internal staff, I mean imagine having, for example, you've got a, a team of internal people and you've set some sort of goals and they achieve it. Why can't you send them off to Mallorca or Granada or some place for a week? And the deal is, when they're there, they have to work 9 to 5. But it doesn't matter because they can access their desktops, right? They can access all the applications. But they're working. And, And, yes, maybe they're working on the beach drinking a cocktail. Why can't they do that? Who made the rule that said that you can't deliver any productive output in that manner? But, by the way... At 5 o'clock, when you can close up a shop, or 6 o'clock even, you're free to go and enjoy the, the, the space. Yeah. And that doesn't even cost a lot of money. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's like a £100 for a return flight, including um, you know, the, 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 this um, self-accommodation type stuff. And so, yes, you have to buy your own food, but you probably have to buy your own food if you were at home anyway. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with the business giving you 50 pounds of per diems and stuff. All I'm saying is there's so many opportunities to think about how you can excite and energize people, mm. make them feel like this is a great place to work. And I'm, I'm living proof of that, right? Mm. I've had offers to come and work at other places. And they said, look, we will give you more money. And I looked at them and said, well... <laughs> I'm quite happy with £10 bottles of wine. I probably couldn't tell the difference <laughs> no. between the £20 and the £10, <laughs> £10 bottle of wine. because. So what am I going to do with extra money? Right? Yeah. I like it, but they like saying, oh, you have to go to this particular location and you have to stay yeah. and put there. And I'm like, no, nah, I, nah. I like working in Milan, in Barcelona, in Paris, and Helsinki. Thanks very much. So do you think that there's an issue? Because I
0: completely appreciate what you're saying. I think it's 100% true, 100% Exactly where we need to be, but do you think there's a certain um, level of misconception in the, in the channel or in the market generally around the availability and the actual reality of these technologies to deliver this software defined workplace? Do you think that I mean, one of the things, one of the counter arguments I'd give you playing devil's advocate mm-hmm. is that a lot of people actually probably don't understand and, and believe these technologies can offer them the flexibility that you're describing? How, how are we well, dealing with that?
2: You know what? <coughs> Um, it's just a question of being informed. To mm. be quite blunt, um, I had a teacher in my uh, lounge uh, about a year and a half ago, and um, she was talking about how terrible it is to to work with the systems because one of the things they have to do, um, well, one of the things they can't, well, one of the things they have to do is update their school information management systems. Yeah. Okay, with all sorts of details. Now. They're not allowed to put that um, information management system application on their laptops because the, the borough doesn't want the private data to leave and it's just causing all sorts of issues with potential fines and stuff. So they say, look, that application is available in the workroom, in the, in the staff room, and that's where you do it. And that's the only place you do it. Now... That's all well and good, but then, of course, they close the school at 4.30 because they don't want people, uh, you know, alone in the school. After hours, the the grounds uh, folk have to close up and, and, mm. and, you know, lock up the school. So they don't have a chance to finish all their work, and then there's enough stress about trying to do it right, and they can't do it right, and all those stresses that come with that. And I said, you know what, if you software-defined that desktop and you chucked it into a data center and you used um, things like of IP or ICA or some sort of protocol that's nice and secure and you can simply connect to that desktop, you could walk out of the school at three thirty four o'clock and go and do something for yourself. Go to the bank. Go, go and visit a friend, for example.
1: Mm.
2: Go to the hospital. Just do something that, that's important to you. And even go to a show, and you might come home at eight o'clock. But all you have to do is reconnect to their desktop and continue working. Yeah. You no data's on on that device at home. Finish off your work. Hit the print button if you need to. It'll come out of the printer in the school, and that'll be done. But and,
0: sort of playing devil's advocate and on the exact point, yeah, is the reason that they've isolated the the application in that way because they don't. They're worried about the security of it, and actually presenting it as a virtual desktop would absolutely get around the flexibility issues but how do they how do you convince people around the security issues and the and the more sort of it's practical ve- issues around it's accessing? very
2: easy I say to folks listen the thing that matters the most normal people like you and I will earn a salary and you know we care about our money and where the money goes and sits in a bank account right Every one of us makes a connection to the bank, and the bank is happy for you to come straight into their data center and fiddle with your balance and move money and stuff. And they don't want to control your desktop, and they don't want to do it because they know they can make that secure connection. It is rock solid. The point is, if we can do that with the thing that matters the most to us, our banking, the chances are that those same technologies are available for yeah. Making remote connections to desktops. I think entities.
1: there's a misnomer, isn't there? It's like, yeah, you know, d- data information applications aren't are secure on the cloud. Well, you know, I, I will argue that till I'm blue in the face. Oh, if, absolutely. Unless absolutely. you have a PC that, that's airlocked, not connected to the internet, and I refuse to believe that, there you know, any wh- of those whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably one or two places dotted around the world where that's the case, but yeah, wherever your data is. If there is a connection at some point, somebody will want to try and get in. But Uh, and if you can secure that, then does it matter if if the application is accessed
0: in a staff room? But one of the things I would say is I can hear our listeners screaming at their radio right now that you've just basically so said about a bank who have let's all be honest an infinite amount of money to throw at security and mm. an infinite number of people mm. to be able to maintain that security.
2: They have a lot of money, not infinite man, but yeah,
0: yeah near, near infinite <laughs> then. But how do you do, you know, I suppose
2: those same my, technologies. No, no, no
0: my, my yeah. argument would be, hmm. where do you how can you create a business case to prove ROI around okay, it's going to cost you more money than it is to have those desktops in the staff room, but how do you prove an intangible ROI like flexibility? against the cost of implementing a solution
2: securely. Well, let me put it this way, right? When I explained to this teacher what was possible for her, you know what her response was? Oh, my goodness. Oh, can I buy that? That's what she said to me. She didn't say, "Uh, oh, okay, what does that cost? Mm. She said, can I buy that? Mm. And then I... Um, I think the list price for this whole suite of end-user computer products was 250 US dollars, right, the list price and of course, resellers listening to this probably think, well wow, we can never sell it list I told her it cost 250 pounds, and she says oh, okay, I'll, I think I can buy that can I buy that please? I'm like, well you can't, because uh, you have to buy it the school is to buy. Well can you come and talk to the head teacher and and, so, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm a dusty and you need to speak to Resalani. It was a bit messy, but the point is, a teacher recognised the value instantly. Yeah. Yeah. She was happy to pay her own 250 pound because she was like, oh, wait a minute. So, so that means I could leave school on the Friday of half term. Yeah go to Mallorca, mm. faff around on the Saturday and the Sunday, and then maybe after lunch I can come into the hotel and I can make a remote connection, finish off all my marking that I had to do, all the marks, yeah. and then continue my, oh, that would be amazing if I could do that. So the fact of the matter is that teachers can see this benefit and they are happy to go down that path. Mm. Um, so the, and then, of course, you know what happens, right? This particular teacher, she left and the reason why she left was because she like, oh, my goodness, this is driving me nuts. I'm stressed out. I may as well yeah. just go to Thailand and have some fun there. But, of course, what's happened now is that school has had to go and employ a new teacher. And, of course, they employed a newly qualified teacher. These teachers are called NQTs. Now, NQTs can't teach for 100% of the, um, of the, um, the time, mm-hmm. only 80%. So now you need to find someone else for the other 20%. Right, I mean, if a t- if you know any teachers listening here, go and ask them about that. So now you have kids in a classroom where there's a teacher and then another teacher. So now you have parents coming in saying, oh, "Hey, what's going on here? Why is my kid getting two teachers? Oh, and why is this like an inexperienced teacher? Oh, I want um, that that yeah. teacher who's been voted the best teacher in the, in the in the borough." Well, you can't. Uh, so now the head teacher's faced with all this drama of the parents giving them a hard time, all because someone decided. Is this really worth it? But imagine giving them that flexibility. Imagine making it so that, hey, you could potentially work from, yeah. you know, mm. wherever the canaries. Would that mm. be interesting for you? Yeah, the technology yeah. is there. You know? Yeah. Awesome. And I'm doing it. So And the uh, yeah. f- f- folks who work with me who do that right now. And, again, we deliver. We can see that. Our customers love the fact that we can do the work that we do and still deliver all those outcomes that they require of us. Yeah. Mm. And I
0: suppose one more i'm the press the timer but one one more example of that is very much like what we have in in arrow we have what five six offices dot around the uk and ireland mm-hmm. you know we're all working collaboratively we're all working at any one location at any one time i was in nottingham yesterday i intend to be in harrogate next week i intend to be here there and everywhere that fundamentally that software defined working environment that we have enables me to do that and i think the working from different countries, you know, fantastic. The being able to take your work home with you, fantastic. But just to purely at the very, very basic level, enable that ability for organizations to, to be very disparate in where and, and almost be where the client needs them mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. rather than where their organization or their data center is, is is incredibly valuable yeah
2: so many use cases i think that's yeah that's the thing you know every business is different give someone flexibility people as paul said at the beginning you know we don't go to an office and sit at the same desk these days Well, very no. few of us do anyway no absolutely so last thoughts so yeah, I, I think if folks listen to this and they if they haven't thrown anything at the their computer <laughs> screen. Sure they give us a call. You know, let us go you know, let us help you present this type of message to the stakeholders that care about this stuff. I mean, I know if you're a parent, I know that you care about this because I care about it. Mm. I'd love to be in fact, just one one thing, right? In the summer I would perhaps work at home on a friday i'd wake up really early get all my work done as you know as well as i can um and then three o'clock i'd meet the kids now i've I've got a dinky little um macbook that i take with me and so it's it's sat with me other laptops to exist yeah but um you know we play (laughs) in the park and then we use Just Eat again, software defined uh, ordering, and we get some pizzas delivered to the, the other
0: food ordering places do exist. Oh,
2: and we have great fun, and you know, by the time I get home at nine o'clock, I've had six hours of yeah. play with the kids. And yeah. you see some other sods walking home from the station, thinking, "Oh my god, all the weekend, oh, all with the kids." And I've had some great time. Now that makes, and I'm totally available for my fa- uh, for, for obviously for my family, but also for my customers, right? Mm. And I've done everything that I needed to do. I've, I've done the hours and more. Now, that makes it really hard for me to consider going somewhere else when I can have that. Now, I don't do it yeah. every Friday, but there's some great Fridays in the summer, yeah. three of them, <laughs> in the UK <laughs> summer, it seems, where you can do that. Yeah, those are really cool things. And again, if you need that help, this awesome. is why you want to lean on uh, the folks like me at Arrow. Fantastic.
1: That's what's tangible.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. Absolutely fantastic session. Brilliant. Really considerably more highbrow than our previous previous
1: uh, <laughs> 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 four episodes. We have to raise our game now. Yeah,
0: we really do. <laughs> I'll really just bring
1: Paul back and Vince back. I'd Vince just you. let them do it, actually.
0: <laughs> Paul, Vince, thank you so much for coming along today. Sweet it's videos. been absolutely fantastic. Please. I'm absolutely certain that we're going to do more on this topic. We're going to build upon this, and we're going to really make you, the listener, an absolute expert and be able to articulate this message to your partners and to your customers and, uh, yeah, become become famous for, for helping them to have more holidays. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Great. This has been Arrow Bandwidth. As per usual, you've had me, David Fern, Paul, Vince, and Richard. And as per usual, our producer has been Hannah Jennings. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> Cheers. Bye.